Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Meeting these people showed me that the way of life that I knew and the way of moving through the world that I was familiar with was not the only way. There are more options. And as I looked around and saw all of these people living their lives um, with joy and with grace and with ease, feeling this sense of aliveness, I realized that I too could surrender to this new feeling and know that I wasn't alone, Mm -hmm. to know that success leaves clues. And as I look around mm-hmm. and people are happy and they're doing something that I also enjoy doing, it's it's a sign. Any blessings? Thank you so much for joining me here on the Yoga Revealed podcast. Super excited to have the opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into your path. But first I want to have the opportunity to introduce you to our wonderful audience. Mm-hmm. This is the absolutely magnetic Tony. He is one of the most heartfelt and incredible satsang and yoga teachers that I've ever had the opportunity of practicing with. And we just actually completed our 300-hour yoga teacher training here at Love and All is Coming in Rishikesh, India. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say that it is an absolute honor to have the opportunity to have this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a dream to have had the opportunity to spend this time with you. I've, I've heard about you and known you and kind of met you once upon a time a long time ago. So it's cool to have, to have um, had this really condensed and like intense, beautiful uh, month together. So it's been a dream for me too. Oh, awesome. Well, mm-hmm. I'm so happy that, you know, like literally like when you said, you're like, I think I've met you before. And I was like, psh, psh, like literally rewound all the way back to New York mm-hmm. at uh, the Jared studio. Uh, what was Lighthouse? Lighthouse. Yeah. yeah. Super mm-hmm. gorgeous studio. And I remember just going in there and just seeing all these incredible practitioners, just like doing things that at the time I was like, psh, blown away 
And now to have the opportunity to be here, and this is now my third 300-hour teacher training that I've done. Oh, wow. Yeah. I and know that. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. yeah. I did one um, with Noah Maze, another one with uh, Johnny Kest, and uh, now this one with Love and All is Coming. Wow. So, yeah, it's cool. uh, been a wonderful third time to charm. Mm -hmm. Definitely the most heart-opening experience of all of my trainings thus far. And I really would love to talk a little bit about where your yoga journey first began. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this story I love to share. Um, it's the most important story that I share in my life, probably. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I share this with all of my students whenever I teach um, at a new training or even just have an online training or have one-on-ones. Because to me, this access point is the most potent um, teaching or lesson that I have in, in yoga and also in life. So when I was 22, 23, I lost my mom to suicide. She had a drinking problem throughout the course of my life um, due to a lot of terrible things that happened in her life, sexual abuse and things like this. And um, I grew up as an only child with her and my entire life I kind of felt like she was obviously my mom and we had an amazing relationship. She was a really cool person, but we almost felt more like friends. Mm. And um, so it was always just her and I. My parents got divorced when I was a young, young kid, maybe like a year old. And um, so I grew up with her primarily and I was in the thick of it with her all the time, with her struggles, with her ups and her downs. And she always had this real willingness to keep trying mm. and keep trying to sort of like pull her life together and, and get back on track. And she did everything that she could really. She did AA and the 12 step program. And she really used all of the tools that she had, but she didn't have the tools that we have, yeah. unfortunately. And, um, she came to New York for my graduation from college. And naively, I said to her, uh, you know, if you come, you can't drink. You know, mm. you have to be sober. And that's impossible for someone who has a drinking problem yeah. if unless they've gotten to a point where they can really deal with it in that type of way. So um, she came, she drank. And at that point in time, I felt like I needed to set a boundary. And I said, you've got to go. And I booked her on the next flight home to Utah. And we had a really beautiful, heartfelt last night together. And I told her, listen, if you want to drink, I'll go with you and we'll just sit together and you can drink and you can do whatever you want. And we can be in an honest and open space together, yeah. full of acceptance. And then when you get home, just know that I will always love you, but I, I need you to get sober. And when you have 30 days sober, we can continue our relationship and we can start talking again. And I hope that we can have a new version of our relationship. So she got home and she checked herself into rehab. She got 30 days sober. We started talking again mm -hmm. and it was amazing. Um, but unfortunately she just, she couldn't nip it in the bud. And I know that she relapsed and I think that she felt so much shame, yeah. so much shame from that. And um, she took her own life and it was devastating for me. And um, it really just turned my whole world upside down. I felt in some capacity guilt, of course, uh, for setting the boundary. But then I also felt 
as I checked in with myself, um, I knew my own truth and I knew what I needed to do for myself. And I know that she respected me for holding the high vision for her and also for myself. Mm-hmm. So when she died, I had no idea how to handle all of the emotions that I was feeling and experiencing. And I started seeing a therapist and that therapist suggested that I start going to yoga. And I was living across the street from Yoga to the People Mm -hmm. in New York City on St. Mark's Place. So I just started going there and I went every single day. (laughs) And then I went back to the therapist and I said, okay, I did it. I've been practicing every day and I, I feel something shifting, even after just one week. And she was like, great, keep, keep going, keep mm-hmm. going. And then I kept going and kept going and kept going. And then I met um, a bunch of people. I met Jared McCann, I met Talia, and my whole life really turned um, in a completely different direction because I too was also on a path to nowhere. You know, mm-hmm. I was partying. How old were you? At 22. I was 22, yeah. so you like know. fresh out of college. Fresh like, out of college, yeah. yeah. I was going out a lot in New York, partying, all sorts of things. Um, but that was the catalyst. That was what changed my life. And it's really informed my pedagogy as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, I, feel, I feel so grateful for that pain. Mm-hmm. And I know that that pain is the wisdom that I'm able to share with, with people. Yeah, yeah. And it's being able to actually transmute that pain mm-hmm. and turn it into fuel for the fire rather yeah. than allowing it to be something that actually pushes you into the point where you actually burn out. Totally. And so I wanted to ask, you know, in those first initial stages of going to yoga every single day, like, what were you feeling? What were some of the, you know, thoughts that were coming up and what kept you actually consistent with that practice? Great question. Um, in the beginning, I think it was a volcano or an eruption of emotion that was brewing inside of me that was just begging to come out. Mm-hmm. I remember being at those yoga to the people classes and it was this room packed, um, full of people. And the sequence was like a real sort of power vinyasa class. And I would be sweating, dripping in sweat and crying, mm. dripping tears out of my eyes. Just everything was was wet. And I was crying and sweating and breathing and the emotions were moving through me. But I, I wasn't conscious of, I wasn't conscious of what was happening, but I could feel the yoga working. It yeah. was just doing its job basically. And I was allowing myself to be there. And when I would exit the building on St. Mark's Place in New York, I would walk down the street. It's like so crazy. It's so crazy to think back on this time because it's been a long time since I've I've really recounted these details. And, And just like everything was so much more vivid. The trees, like I I felt, I felt alive. Yeah. I felt alive. I could feel. I could feel the prana flowing through my body and it was, um, it, it was, it is still for me every time I practice, every day I do my practice, a miracle, a total like, wow, holy moly, grace of God. Yeah. It's like, it's a download every time and, and it's not 
it's not lost on me, even still. But tracing, tracing the story back to that moment is really special, especially remembering the, the sight and, and the feeling and the touch and the smells of everything kind of enlivening my presence because I felt so, with the death of my mom, I also felt kind of dead inside. Mm-hmm. There was a death that, that happened and a reckoning with the, the, the temporary quality of this human form, which I didn't understand at that point. And um, being able to feel alive in a way that was not, it was a sensory experience, but it wasn't of this body. It wasn't of this experience. It was so much more expansive mm-hmm. than, than that. And I think that that feeling and that, that sensibility and that, that little bija, that little seed of knowledge that was planted kept me coming back. There was no not knowing, mm-hmm. you know, after the, after the wisdom drops, it's like, wait, <laughs> I can't go back again. You know, yeah. this is, this is my new way of being. This is the truth of who I am. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. beautiful that you really were able to stick with that consistency and that you could also feel that that truth was resonant within your heart. And I feel that for so many practitioners, especially starting out, like you are so fresh and new that when you step into that room, it's like a whole entire new perspective of how you're able to introspect and actually view yourself. And I feel that when you have that perspective, that's when the real beauty of life begins to grow. And so I wanted to hear as well, what were some of the main like components about the community that was at Yoga Mm. to the People? And like what... Yeah, because I mean, you told me that you met Talia and you met Jared. Like, what were some of the dynamics then? And and what do you remember as far as being like a fresh practitioner and having the opportunity to meet other practitioners who were inspiring? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, that's a, that was a big part of it too, is that I was able to connect with people that were of this same new mindset that I was sort of adjusting and reorienting my my brain to I've always my entire life as a kid I was always deeply spiritual and I I, like as a kid I I loved anything having to do with like the celestial elements sun moon stars my whole room had sun moon and stars everywhere so I, I was really curious about the existence of our nature and then meeting people with this same sort of curiosity and um on this quest for wisdom and knowledge um, of the self with capital S <laughs> is, uh, was enthralling to me. I actually met Jared at a store. We were both working at a, at a retail store in Soho called Marnie, a fancy Italian brand. And I didn't meet him at Yoga to the People. I started going to Yoga to the People first and then I met him shortly after and then um, he introduced me to other types of yoga, like Bikram and Dharma Mitra and, uh, you know, Ashtanga. And then he got full into the fold with Yoga to the People. And that's when we met um, Talia and Rose Aaron was a Dharma person. So I've known her since the very beginning of my practice. Mm-hmm. And she's a dear friend and teacher of mine as well. 
uh, also faculty on this program. Yeah, she's um, incredible. Amazing, <laughs> amazing Yogi. Um, but yeah, meeting, meeting these people uh, showed me that the way of life that I knew and the way of moving through the world that I was familiar with was not the only way. There are more options. And as I looked around and saw all of these people living their lives um, with joy and with grace and with ease, um, feeling this sense of aliveness, I realized that I too could um, surrender to this new feeling and know that I wasn't alone, mm -hmm. to know that success leaves clues. And as I look around mm -hmm. and people are happy and they're doing something that I also enjoy doing, it's, it's a sign. Oh, wow. Like I can, I can also um, live in my truth and know that there, is, there are other options out there. I don't have to subscribe to the norm, the nine to five, the um, social construct that many people, myself included, have fallen sort of victim to at some point in the life, thinking I have to do this in this order, in this way. Um, it was nice to have that challenged mm -hmm. and for me to be able to know that I can live my dharma and live live the true essence of my life. Mm. And the community element was very important. It was a really important part of that. And I feel like the community element right here at Love and All in Covenant, like it's so palpable to like step into the room with 50 other or 51 other practitioners and just feel that energy, mm -hmm. that vibrance. And I want to speak to you know, how your community evolved because you went from, you know, going to Lighthouse and then I'm sure that you did a number of different teacher trainings and then you decided to start teaching. Like what was your path from that point that you were, you know, feeling the sensation, you were feeling this community then to becoming an actual teacher? Yeah, so it, it was really interesting um, how it happened. So Jared and I met and when I'm, for those of you who don't know, Jared McCann, he's also a great yoga teacher. He and I met and uh, we started dating and he wasn't a yoga teacher yet, but he was really deep into the yoga world. Mm -hmm. And then he did his first training and um, he really wanted to open a studio. And um, actually before that, Yoga to the People, were, they were offering a hot yoga training and because of his dedicated practice, they asked him to teach on it. And he invited me to participate. Mm. I don't even know if I had, maybe I didn't even have to pay because I was dating him. So I was like, okay, sure, You're why in. not? <laughs> Part of the family. And yeah, and this is really my yoga journey. I didn't have a lot of direction um, or vision for my life or what I wanted, but I had a dedicated practice. And because of the dedicated practice, things kept coming to me. I wasn't ever deciding, I need to do this, I want to do this, but I kept getting handed teacher trainings kind of for free. I don't know that I ever paid for a teacher training actually. Wow. And I've done a lot of them, but they just keep being gifted to me. And I don't think that it's an accident. I think that it's 
my teacher Nadine Mashan, the creator of Katona Yoga, says the drishti of joy is being in the right place at the right time. And I think mm, that the drishti of joy. Yes. Wow. Yes. That is a good one. The drishti of joy is being in the right place at the right time. And I'm not in the right place at the right time on accident. That's technique, mm -hmm. right? That's because I did my practice. And preparation meets opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I did some trainings. I did this hot yoga teacher training. I had no intention of teaching. Um, I really didn't feel like I was worthy of it. And then they, Yoga to the People hired me to teach and they invited me to teach the first public class from the training. And I thought to myself, wow, what is going on here? This is so peculiar. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jared and I opened Lighthouse together. So I built the studio and really sort of built the community in a big way. And he built the, the teaching and the offering. And we opened with some teacher trainings. And I participated in the teacher trainings at our school. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, I, so I, I really, with him, built the community of Lighthouse in a, in a pretty special way. And then um, we decided to go our separate ways, Jared and I, and um, I began dating my husband now shortly after. And he is also a yoga teacher who has a yoga school called The Sacred Fig. And he offers a bunch of trainings as well. So I've been sort of folded into the Sacred Fig community mm -hmm. in another really special way, which changed the, the trajectory of my life. And that's within, under the umbrella of the Sacred Fig is really where I developed the satsang practice that I've been teaching all of you. Uh -huh. And then Talia called me one day out of the blue. Um, we hadn't been chatting a lot, maybe peripherally on Instagram, but not, not a lot. Mm -hmm. And she said, I would love for you to lead trainings with me. Would you be open to that? And I was just like, Sure. So <laughs> I think coming from a place of yes has been a cornerstone in, in the, the path of yoga and teaching for me. It's, um, it's been scary. It's obviously always scary stepping outside of the comfort zone and into the challenge zone. But saying yes is, is definitely a, a major affirmation for me in my life because I don't always have the confidence or the vision to know where I'm going, but I do know that when I'm asked something by someone that I really love and respect, the answer is always yes. Mm. And that positions me in the right place at the right time. It's a good place to be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> in the drishti of joy. In the drishti of joy. It's good. It's a good place. That's a blessing. And yeah. I, I feel like your journey has been so guided by incredible teachers who believe in you. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask, you know, what do you believe are some of the qualities of some of the most incredible teachers that you've had the opportunity of practicing with and um, learning from? I think going back to this idea that something that I, I mentioned earlier, success leaves clues. Mm -hmm. So when I look around and I, I look at my teachers and I examine their qualities and I think and more than think, really feel at the center of my own heart what it is that I love and admire about them. And I know that if 
I can tap into that essence that I feel around them, I know that that is what I'll be able to receive from them. And, uh, you know, like Rose Aaron has this gorgeous, um, subtle sense of humor, which is quite sneaky and cheeky, <laughs> but she's also incredibly devoted to knowledge and to bhakti. So she has both this incredible cerebral and intellectual um, knowledge, but also a deep devotion and dedication to the heart space. And so does Talia. Um, um, and so do you. And so do I. <laughs> same track, same, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and Naveen, um, my teacher Naveen, the creator of Katoni Yoga, is uh, also that way. She's so generous. She invites her students over to her home. Mm -hmm. She uh, serves them tea, and we go on walks through her garden, mm -hmm. and she shows us uh, all of the new plants that she's planting and we light a fire and we sit around and we talk about yoga and then she cooks us a meal mm -hmm. and we have this beautiful moment of deep connection where we can really absorb the knowledge that she's sharing with us, but in a way that feels so deeply personal and loving, almost like a, like a mom yeah. type of character. And and it's really sweet to receive that transmission from her. And I also look at her life and her home and everything's gorgeous and, and well-kept. Mm -hmm. And that's because she has set herself up well. The foundation is set up well and she has nice techniques. Mm -hmm. And these techniques allow her to have a life that is, is, is both simple and, and beautiful. And uh, my partner is also a really cool example of someone who is incredibly generous and exudes love and joy and outward in every direction at mm -hmm. all times. Naveen Mashan actually introduced us. And when she was talking about Anton, she said, uh, you know, Anton, I send my students to go find him so that they find their joy. And wow. <laughs> he, uh, he really gives everything that he has to people in in a, in a selfless way. Mm. He's, uh, he has a lot of energy and a lot of vision and a lot of drive and, and he, he loves seeing others succeed. So my success as a teacher is also largely from having a partner, which is so, uh, supportive and elevating. He's really been, um, yeah, a big cheerleader for me and, and it's helped me a lot. Mm. Well, it's great to have those type of people to constantly uplift you and yeah. to keep you feeling that sense of uh, not only just like inspiration, but also that sense of uh, a clear direction towards like, you can go this way and, and let's reaffirm the skills that you're showing that you're most interested in to help you on that path. And I feel that that's really powerful. Um, one thing that I, I definitely would love to come back to mm -hmm. is you mentioned that you're now teaching this satsang, this mm -hmm. practice of, I mean, I'll let you actually define it uh, even more because in my experience, it's a true practice of devotion, mm -hmm. a true practice of really tapping into a deeper awareness of the subtle nature of what it means to be devoted to this practice of yoga. And so I would love to hear, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear a little bit more about satsang. Cool. Yeah, satsang is a practice that I 
am so excited to be sharing um, on this level. I've been teaching this practice now for about five or six years, and it was developed over um, probably the past 15 years based off of my own practice. I have a one-on-one relationship with um, a teacher named Gowri who comes from Amma's ashram. Mm-hmm. And Amma, for those of you who don't know, is the hugging saint. Yeah. And her school and her uh, method is also all about love mm-hmm. and this beautiful darshan, this transmission of love that comes from a hug. And I began receiving um, 40 day mantra sadhanas from uh, this woman, Gowri, uh, who who I still speak to every 40 days. And what does that look like for people who are not perhaps, you know, yeah. aware of a, a mantra or, you know, what it means to have like a, a 40 day sadhana of a yeah. mantra? Like, what does that look like? So basically we, we have calls every 40 days and um, she also does Jyotish astrology. So she looks at my astrological chart. We talk a lot about what's going on in my life, blockages that I feel and experience or um, opportunities that I would like to open myself up to. And based off of what we talk about, she gives me a set of mantras that I do for 40 days every day, mm-hmm. no skipping. And um, after the 40 days, I really sort of have, um, I have a handle on the vibration of that mantra and I've absorbed it. Mm-hmm. And that mantra practice its benefits come in waves for up to six months to a year. And then on the 40 day mark, I speak to her again on Zoom. And then we have that whole conversation again and she gives me a new set of practices. Wow. Yeah. That sounds pretty epic. It's epic. And that's that's the foundation of my sadhana. And that was really the first step in creating satsang is developing a really strong personal practice myself. And how long have you been actually practicing this sadhana i mean like and and over like the first few months were you able to just you know do 40 40 days of just bam you know like you're in it yeah no 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 it took time it took a lot of time to develop this um consistency and i kept going and i think the biggest mistake is for people to get discouraged if they don't maintain the consistency Mm -hmm. because it is like a water changes a stone, you know, it's with consistency over time, but it might not be consistent at first and that's okay. Um, and what was the other part of your question? <laughs> uh, just like, like, so you developed this consistency yeah. and then in developing this consistency, it led to you actually creating this practice of satsang? Yeah, so the mantra was the baseline uh, and I had been doing these one-on-ones with her now it has to have been over a decade. I've been speaking to her every 40 days and growing my repertoire of of mantras that I have worked with. Um, And that was the the baseline. And then I somewhat simultaneously began doing TM and Vedic meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, So those two became kind of the, the first part of the satsang creation. And then I began getting really into Kriya work and pranayama. And a lot of the Kriya and the pranayama work comes from Katona. Mm -hmm. And I've learned a lot of this from Naveen along with the metaphor that I weave in. So satsang is a combination of japa mantra, Vedic meditation, uh, 
kriya work mm -hmm. and pranayama mixed with uh, metaphor and poetry and anything else that chooses to come out of me in this given moment. Mm -hmm. And it, it was piecemeal at first. So I had the mantra and I had the Vedic and then I began dabbling in Kriya and Pranayama and all of these other um, elements. And then it wasn't until the Sacred Fig, my husband's yoga school was um, putting on a training in Portugal and his meditation teacher couldn't come. And I, of course, was there with him. He knew that I had had this dedicated meditation mm -hmm. practice for so many years. He asked me if I would um, oversee meditation and satsang and philosophy on his trainings. And he said, you know, I'd like a mix of um, guided meditation and, you know, some pranayama and mantra and Vedic. And so based off of what he said, I just kind of put all the things together that I had been doing over the years. Mm -hmm. And what I was most uncomfortable with was this idea of guided meditation because I had never done guided meditations and I didn't understand them. Mm -hmm. And now it's so funny to imagine <laughs> not uh, braiding that into it because it really kind of binds everything together. Um, and, and because of saying yes to that opportunity, Satsang was born mm -hmm. and, or my, my particular um, flavor of Satsang that I've been teaching all of you. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us like a little metaphor that perhaps you've given in one of our satsangs? Oh yeah, sure. So I, I take these metaphors from Katona. So these are Naveen's and I love integrating them because I think that it's so potent and present. So I always talk about becoming round, spherical and buoyant so mm -hmm. that when we fall down, we don't break, we bounce back. Mm -hmm. And part of becoming spherical and round and buoyant is knowing where I am in time and space. So I always know that fire rises from below, grace is given from above, my past is behind me and my potential is in front of me. And I remain in the center, mediating, meditating and modulating on all of the polarities. I'm feeling even more round. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and tell us about these Kriyas, because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of listeners who I'm sure have heard about Japa Mantra and, you know, like going through bead by bead and having an actual mantra that's a Sanskrit word. But, mm. you know, like, what is a Kriya and what defines a Kriya? Great question. Yeah, Kriya means action and Kriya and Karma uh, are more or less the same meaning action and action with the same root word K-R, mm -hmm. um, but they are different. So a Kriya, in the way that I understand it, is an action that neutralizes karma mm -hmm. and um, doesn't create new karma, but neutralizes. And these are usually physical actions. And of course, the ancient yogis did many different cleansing Kriyas. These are cleansing exercises um, like Nauli Kriya or wave the belly. Yeah, and the, the basti, the drinking the salt water, or the enemas or the cleaning the nose or the tongue scraping. These are also Kriyas. Mm -hmm. But the Kriyas that I do in satsang are usually breath, mantra and action based. So we have three components using the breath, 
using a physical action and also oftentimes using a mantra, the three are braided together to combine this cleansing exercise. Mm -hmm. And then I love to sync the breath up to the beat of music <laughs> and create a really um, interesting, transcendental, transformational moment in time. I feel like using the music and the beat really facilitates the breath. I feel like Honestly, satsangs are really spiritual parties. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Like if someone were able to like, you know, put on their spirit visors and yes. like see what's going on, we're just all there just like, whoa, yeah. Yeah. full on. And it's, it's so uplifting, mm -hmm. so uplifting. Like there's, you know, the days where we're feeling like, oh, like sluggish and like, you know, we're going through our, our Sanskrit studies and then all of a sudden you come in and you just break it up with a little bit yes. of magic. And yeah. I, I must say that the satsang practice is definitely something that will stick with me as something that I want to continue yes. learning because it's just, it's potent. Mm -hmm. It's potent to, to see how quickly you can change the vibration of a space with these simple actions. Definitely. And that's why I love it. You know, it's, it's so empowering to be able to um, challenge my negative thoughts and challenge my low energy and challenge that sluggishness by taking action mm -hmm. and knowing that I have the power, I'm empowered, that this is yoga, right? Developing cities, developing um, the essence of self-realization is, is knowing that I can be powerful because I can determine my own circumstances. I can shift the tide of my experience at any point in time mm -hmm. by changing the way that I breathe and move and think. And these practices, these tools and techniques can really ignite a shift in people. And they have in me, and that's why I love sharing them. Mm, that's beautiful. Mm. And so I want to hear a little bit more about how our listeners out there can perhaps cultivate their own satsang practice at home. And what does that look like? Is it like, you know, like something where maybe you would just give them a few steps to practice, like a 20 minute, a 30 minute, or a 40 minute practice? Like if they're brand new to say Kriya and mantra, like what would be some steps to kind of get them into the door? Great. Um, my first tip is to start off small. So do just a little bit, but do it every day. Mm -hmm. So choose something that you can do every single day, maybe even one minute of Kapalabhati, arms overhead in a V position, extend the thumbs and do Kapalabhati for one minute. Set a timer, maybe find a song that you love. Everything's a little bit better with music. Yeah. Everything's a little bit better with a friend, with a smile. So um, yeah, maybe one minute of Kapalabhati is a great start. And then um, in terms of mantra, I've received all of my mantra from my teacher and I have continued that lineage with my students. So I now see uh, somewhere between 40 and 60 students uh, on a one, once a month. Mm -hmm. uh, and I speak to them about what's going on in their lives. And then I give them a set, basically their personal satsang, their personal mm -hmm. sadhana, which involves mantra, kriya, pranayama, meditation. Um, and that's a sort of perfectly curated practice. And then I hold their hand through the process throughout the month. And it's really nice to have that accountability. At least that was how I built my practice is having the accountability of a teacher to hold my hand and see me through it because it is hard at first. But the main 
little nugget of wisdom is to start off slow and short and then gradually with the consistency build up to um, maybe increasing things a little bit but morning time is the best Mm -hmm. no phone use right when you wake up no um you know instagram or any of that and then i also love to add a sense of devotion to my practice Mm -hmm. so even something as simple as lighting a an incense or a candle is really helpful to shift the energetics of the day so that i can position my mind and my spirit into a place of uh, devotion, doing something very special and, and deeply divine. This is not just brushing my teeth. This is me connecting to God. Mm-hmm. And to consider the gorgeous gravity of that for a moment, like, whoa, this is a moment for me to connect to God, to connect to my inner friendliness toward myself, to mm-hmm. become my own best friend. And I always tell people if they don't believe in God, just think of the son or think of their mother. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always something that was here before us that's giving us life or giving us energy. And that essence or that being, uh, whatever it is, wherever it is, is something so stunning, so gorgeous to connect with. So to find that and bring that, infuse my practice with that is is so special. And I don't think that there's anything better to do or more important than to take, you know, a couple of minutes a day, one minute of Kapalabhati, one Japa mantra of Om Shanti Om, you know, or just Om, Om, Om going around 108 times. Mm -hmm. It's like anybody has time for that. Anybody has time. And to check in with myself first, to observe my internal landscape, so that then I can go into the world with a little bit more information, patience, grace, compassion. There's no better way to spend time. No better way. Mm, I agree with you. Yeah. It really is an incredible practice to have a sense of self-awareness and also a sense of connecting with a higher source and truly allowing that to be a space that is sacred. Mm -hmm. So that you have that sense of consistency no matter where you are in the world. Yes. And I feel it's so important now more than ever for people to have the opportunity to do that where they're not, you know, looking at their timer on their phone or being distracted by 20 million other things that are going on around us, but really take that time to direct that energy in. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for sharing that. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for for asking, yeah, so special. Mm-hmm. And I, I only have a few more questions. Okay, um, but I do want to ask you: How do you define yoga? I define yoga as as God. Mm-hmm. I, to me, yoga is is connecting to God, connecting to the deeper wisdom of of our existence that lives within all sentient beings. Yoga is really the truth of who we are. It's, mm-hmm. it's revealing, revealing my, my true essence, to mm-hmm. strip back the layers, to be more open, to be more vulnerable, to be more compassionate, to be more loving, to be more connected to the greater world around us and worlds, you know? Just really 
<laughs> the expansive nature of all things. Truth be told, mm -hmm. the expansive nature of all things is only blossoming with even more potential for us to tap in. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, I wanted to ask you for, you know, the students out there who are having trouble with consistency or perhaps are feeling a little down on themselves um, and who may not have the, the charisma or the encouragement at home to consistently be on with their practice, what are a few tips that you can give them to stay consistent? Um, first tip is to choose uh, the night before to meditate in the morning. Mm. So that means um, preparing myself by getting a good night's rest and setting my alarm with enough time so that when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel rushed. Mm -hmm. And when I do wake up in the morning, I know that I have a plan and my plan is to meditate. Second thing is to have a dedicated space. And for people who travel, I know a lot of, a lot of us travel a lot, and this is a big common question that I get. Well, what happens when I don't have my space? I like to walk into whatever room that I'm staying in and um, decide, okay, this is gonna be my spot. This mm -hmm. is my meditation spot. This is my altar. I'm gonna light the candle there, light the incense there. I wake up in the morning and I've already chosen. Everything is set up for me so I don't have this moment of like, mm, what should I do? I already have everything planned out. Mm -hmm. I'm also a Virgo, so I like to plan things. <laughs> um, and then I, the devotional element is so special. Mm -hmm. I also love um, a boundary. Uh, as we've talked about, paradise is a walled-in garden. This is a definition that that is actually the root of the word paradise, mm -hmm. and it's a gar it's has a wall around it because it's tended to, it's cared for, it has both shade and water and everything that it needs to flourish. So if I set a timer for myself or if I use a japa mantra, there's a boundary around this practice which allows for me to feel safe. So I know that even if anxiety does bubble up or if I feel like, oh my gosh, this is too much, I need to get out of here, I have the knowing and the wisdom that this isn't gonna last forever. So I should really enjoy, attempt to enjoy and relish in the time that I do have to connect with myself. Um, and if people have the opportunity to find somebody that they respect to study with, then I think that that's really um, the best way because these practices are originally oral practices passed down from one teacher to the next. And uh, to be able to receive that type of transmission and wisdom and knowledge from one teacher to student is really the most potent way to to get teaching and that doesn't mean that you have to find someone in your neighborhood maybe you find someone online that you really resonate with and their teachings uh are really powerful just yesterday talia and i were out eating in, in rishikesh and a woman came up to talia and said i'm your student hmm. i've been practicing with you for years and I love you so much. And I went to sleep listening to your meditation last night. And Aww. it really just overwhelmed me. It brought me to tears because it's so powerful that her teachings were so um, important to this woman and they had never met before. So, um, you know, even if you don't have someone in your neighborhood, now the world has become smaller because we have incredible ways of practicing online that can be really heartfelt and deep as well. 
truth be told, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of this absolutely interconnected web that we live in today. Yeah. So that inspiration is all around us and there's always the step if we choose to find a way. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And with that being said, I wanted to just say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your heart, and most importantly, sharing how people can get a start into their satsang practice. Yes. And for the listeners out there who are looking to get in touch with you to learn a little bit more about your practice and your Mm -hmm. offerings, what is the best way that they can do so? I'm on Instagram. And my Instagram is Tony Lupinacci. It's just my full name. Mm-hmm. And my website is also TonyLupinacci.com. And my email is yoga at TonyLupinacci.com. So it's all pretty easy. It's just Tony Lupinacci everywhere. Um, and I'm, I'm really willing to chat about any of this stuff. So if anybody has a question or if you'd like to just send me a message, um, I'm really happy to respond. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Blessings and namaste. Namaste. So good. Thank you, Andrew. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.